So last week, um, we saw another angel come onto the scene. And what we saw was another opportunity, another chance. What we saw was another time uh, that God reaches out uh, to the remaining people on the earth to receive the forgiveness that is offered through Jehovah God, through the shed blood of his son. You know, the funny thing about this is, for me, there, you know, there are some things that people struggle with about God. When, when, you, when you really get in, you really start learning about God, and you start getting in, and, and you see some of the things, you know, in the beginning, it's all unicorns and rainbows, and then you really start getting into the study of God, and you start learning some things that maybe you didn't know about God. And, you know, there are some things that some people struggle with that, that I really don't have a problem with. Um, for instance, uh, as the creator of all of this, as the creator of all the universe, as the creator of every human being, uh, that is upon the, uh, the face of this earth, he can do with it as he pleases. I, I don't struggle with anything that God does because he created us, he created the earth, and therefore, as the creator, he can start it, he can finish it, he can do whatever he wants because it's his creation. And so therefore, I don't struggle with anything that we see happening. I don't struggle with the things that go on. I, I just look at as God as the creator can do whatever he pleases. Um, so I have no struggle with that. I, I really don't have a problem with God as an equal opportunity when it comes to what we consider good and bad. And what I mean by that is I believe it rains on the just and the unjust. I believe that Good people have bad things happen to them, and bad people have bad things happen to them. I believe good things happen to bad people, and good things happen to good people. I don't have a problem with, the, with, with all of that happening. I, you know, I, I'm upon this fallen earth, and things happen, and I don't, I don't struggle with any of that. It, it gives me such peace of mind. Um, I don't struggle with the wrath of God. Some people want to look at God as, as this God of love and, and he never has wrath and he's never angry and he's never... I don't struggle with the wrath of God. I don't struggle with the mercy of God. I sure don't struggle with the wrath of God. Um, as God, he created us, he set the rules, and he also decides the consequences. I don't struggle with that. It, it's never been an issue with me. I don't struggle with the thought of hell. I don't struggle with eternal punishment. That doesn't, I don't struggle with that. You know, some people really struggle with a God that would send someone to hell. And we'll talk more about that in a little bit. It doesn't bother me that I can't always figure God out. Some people, if they can't figure it out, if they can't scientifically prove it, then it just can't be real. It doesn't bother me when science can't explain God. You know, he's a big God. 
I don't struggle with that. But the one thing, and, and now listen, this is coming from me personally. The one thing that I don't understand is God's unceasing attempt to draw someone to him. Chance after chance after chance after chance after chance after chance after chance. Infinity after chance. And it just, now don't get me wrong. I have personally benefited from this chance after chance after chance. I was 26 years old when I finally surrendered my life over to God. So there was 26 years of grace and mercy there for me. I watched my mother in just the last years of her life get things right with God, and I know she had chance after chance, and then my father in just the last weeks of his life made things right with God. So, so don't get me wrong when I say that. I mean, this is coming from uh, the, the, the selfish human self when I say, I just don't understand why God continues to give chance after chance after chance, and people reject him, and people, people run over him, and People blaspheme him, and, 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 and he just continues. And that's what we see here today. That's what we saw last week when, when the angel came and began to preach the gospel once again to, to a fallen world. I just, I don't understand. You know, I'm just not built that way. For me personally, and, and, and here we go, and, and I said, and this is probably one of those things that some people, some of you don't struggle with this. But I'm not built that way. You know, I, I'm, I'm built the way, and the way that I am is if somebody doesn't want to be in my life, I don't care. I don't want them there. If they don't want to be in my life, fine, it's their loss. It's kind of the way I look at it. It's their loss. And so I'm not one to go out and beg for somebody to be in my life. I'm not one to go out and, 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 and try to make things right so that we can have this relationship. I, if somebody makes it clear to me they don't want to be in my part of my life, I'm okay with that. You know, I remember several years ago, it's been many years, real early in my pastor here at the church, we had several families who, who got hurt and left. And I can remember that I had several within the church come to me and, and want me to go to that family and beg them to come back. And I said, I didn't ask them to leave. I'm not going to go ask them to come back. And I didn't. And, 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 you know, but this is the thing. I watch people all the time beg for someone to stay in their life. All the time. Man, I've watched people... And it's like, just let them go. They don't want to be there. They're going to make your life miserable. Just let them go. If they don't want to be in your life, let them go. Why do you, why do you beg? Why do you plead? Why do you, let, why do you do all this stuff? Just let them go if they don't want to be there. But I am also the guy who would take you back in a heartbeat. If you don't want to be in my life, that's fine. But if you decide one day down the road that you want to be a part of my life, come on back. 
I don't struggle with that part. I, I'll cut, you come back with open arms. I, I mean, I work, that, those families that left the church years ago, if they wanted to come back today, it wouldn't bother me one bit. I'd welcome back with open arms. Wouldn't bother me not one ounce. I would not struggle with that. But once again, we see God pleading with those. During the, 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 the latter part of the tribulation, begging and pleading for people to come to him. And we know that it is God's will that none should perish. We understand that. But when I think of God, I think of Luke 15, the father of the prodigal son. I, you know, I've always had this vision of God that, you know, if somebody wanted to go their own way, that he would just stand back in the wings and pray that they would come back one day, but he didn't go after them. He just let them go. Let them go make their mistakes. Let them go mess things up. Let them go ruin their life and then one day come crawling back. And he met them with open arms, come running out and kissed him right on his nastiness and welcomed him back home. That's how I've, I've always had this vision of God. And then as I continue our study of Revelation I've seen another father emerge, one that I'd never seen before. It's not that I, I probably not that I didn't know that it was there. It's just that it, it seems more common in the book of Revelation. And maybe I'm just missing it. The other day I heard a story um, about a man who lost his wife suddenly. I don't remember the circumstances. I don't know if she was killed in a car wreck or if she died from some type of illness. But this gentleman had an older teenage son. And, and the wife had died suddenly. I know it took him by surprise. And the son became angry. He became angry because his mom had died and and he began to get into some trouble. He began to rebel. He started hanging out with the wrong crowd, hanging out with the wrong people. And he was just really starting to mess up his life. And one night, he was getting around, and he was getting ready to go out and to hang out with his, his troublemaking friends again. And the dad told him, he said, Son, I, I really wish you wouldn't go out tonight. He said, I'm just... He said, I'm kind of feeling down, you know, I'm, I've been just a little emotional today, missing your mom. And he said, I'd really like it if you'd just stay home tonight and spend some time with me. He said, we can do something, we can go catch a movie or play a game, whatever you want to do. The son said, Dad, I'm going out. I'm going out with my friends, I'm going to go hang out with them, and you just, you do whatever you need to do. Well, as the evening kind of went along and, and the young man, it was getting closer, um, he said, son, he said, I don't want you to go out tonight. He said, I don't like the boys you're hanging out with. You've been getting in a lot of trouble. He said, I don't want you to go out tonight. I want you to stay home. He said, dad, I'm going out. His son got up and was walking towards the door. And he stood in front of the door, and he said, Son, if you're going to go out of here, you're going to have to go through me. And the, the teenage boy shoved his father. 
and his father fell down on the ground out the door and he just stepped over his father and left. And that's the father I see here. It's not the prodigal father who stayed back in the wings and waited for the son to come back, but the father that sees the son destroying his life and does everything in his power to stop that boy from going in a father to the, any farther to the point that the boy shoved him to the ground and stepped over his body. And he is also this Abba Father. You see, these remaining souls, they have rejected the 144,000. They have rejected the two witnesses. They rejected the eagle that was preaching the gospel, the countless tribulation saints that have been saved and giving their testimony, the seven seal judgments, the seven trumpet judgments. They have rejected all of that. Every plea that God has put out, they have rejected it. And yet here he stands in the door one more time. And he says, if you're going to hell, you're going to have to go through me. And most of these people will shove him to the floor. They will step over his body and they will tread through the blood of Jesus Christ to go to hell. Most of them at this period will do that. And yet God continues and continues and continues to beg and continues to get in front In verse 8 of chapter 14. And it says, another angel came. And this one didn't preach the gospel. Let me get myself in Revelation here. So last week the angel came and began to preach the gospel. This week we have another angel. This angel's not going to preach the gospel. He's going to preach judgment. Revelation chapter 14, verse 8, and we'll read through verse 11. And there followed another angel, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. The great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. And they have no rest day nor night who worship the beast and his image and whosoever re receiveth the mark of his name. Fallen, fallen is Babylon. Babylon the great. This is going to be an absolute shock 
to those that are remaining upon the earth. This is the strongest, the most powerful, the most organized empire in history. And here you have an angel who has come out and says that Babylon will fall. It will utterly fall. It will be destroyed. Revelation 13, 4 says, And they worship the dragon, which have power unto the beast. And they worship the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? That is their mindset towards the beast. That is their mindset towards this new Babylon, is that it is indefeatable. It cannot. Who can war against them? Who can even rise up against the beast? And yet you have this angel who comes out and pledges judgment that Babylon will fall. It will not just fall, but it will fall completely and utterly. This is impossible. How is this even possible? The greatest ruler to ever be upon the face of the earth will fall. So who is Babylon? We've been talking about Babylon somewhat throughout Revelation. You see, in this setting, Babylon represents the Antichrist worldwide political, economic, and religious empire. But who was Babylon? Babylon was founded by Nimrod in Genesis 10, verse 9 and 10. You see, Nimrod was arrogant, he was proud, and he was powerful. But he was also anti-God. He hated the one true God. And he introduced the worship of false gods. This was the first time we see idolatry, the first time we see the introduction of the worship of false gods. He built what is called a ziggurat. A ziggurat is a pyramid-type temple. They believe that the closer they built this temple up and the closer they would get to the heaven, the closer they would be to the gods. And so they, he built this, this ziggurat. And this ziggurat was called the Tower of Babel. And so because he had built this and, and, and Jehovah God looked down and he said, they all speak the same language. They're all uh, becoming this evil group of people. And so it says, he said, let us go down. And they came down and they confused their languages. And once they confused their languages, the Bible says they could no longer understand each other. So they began to separate and they spread throughout the world. Now, you know what went with them? Idolatry. They took it with them. Everywhere they went, they took this idolatry and it spread like a wildfire. But it all started in Babylon. It all started in Babylon. Babylon was the birthplace of false religion. But Babylon will also be the morgue of false religion. It will be the place 
that it is finally put to rest. It'll be the place that false religions will finally be destroyed. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. It shows fallen, fallen. It shows the finality of the destruction. Babylon will never rise again. Once it is destroyed this time, it will never rise again. And here we see that Babylon here is described as she. I'm going to leave that one alone. In chapter 17, she's called a harlot. But it speaks of seduction. And in this section here, as the angel begins to preach, he speaks of wine. So you have seduction and you have alcohol, one of the most dangerous combinations to mankind. Seduction and alcohol. Many a men and women have been destroyed by one or the other. But many and almost none survived the pair. Alcohol and seduction are almost unstoppable. Listen, I don't, as I read this, I don't know why the King James used the word wrath here. Because the word is thumos, which means passion. Passion. Or it means a strong consuming lust or a strong desire. But listen, she'll not only cause many to fall into physical immorality, we know that sex will be rampant during this time. Sexual perversion will be rampant during this time. But even worse, she will lead people into a spiritual immorality. Men will seek out a religion that will meet the lustful desires that they have. One that encourages the thing that my flesh desires. They will seek out a religion that meets their needs. Their lustful needs. And the beast and the false prophet will offer this very thing. You think about what we've looked at. Rape, molestation, sleeping around, sodomization. They're all going to be rampant. All you want, as long as you worship me, you can do whatever you want to do. It doesn't matter. Just worship me. You can kill, steal, and destroy, and it's okay as long as you worship me. That's the message of the beast. That's the religion that the wicked want. Just let me do what I want to do. Just let me live the life I want to live. That's the religion I want. I want a God that will let me do whatever it is I want to do, and he's okay with that. And you know what? I think, I know so many people today that think that's who Jehovah God is. That they can live their life any way they want to live their life, and God's okay with it. As long as they acknowledge who he is, they're okay with it. God's okay with the way I'm living. I'm drinking, I'm sleeping around, 
I'm messing around, I'm dishonest, I lie, I cheat. But God's okay with that because I believe in Jesus Christ. He's my Lord and Savior, I've heard him say. And they believe that they're okay with that. Because they believe, or maybe because they go to church. Because I go to church, then I'm okay, I'm all right. And listen, if they don't figure this out, Matthew 7, 21 through 23 is going to be their reality. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father. Did you hear that? He says, listen, not everybody who says to me, I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe He is my Savior. Not everyone that says that He is my Savior will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father, that is who's saved. That is the one who's right with God. That is the one who's going to heaven, the one who does the will of the Father. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name. And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. He said, I never knew you. I don't care what you did. I don't care what you did inside the church. I don't care how many times you proclaimed that you was a Christian. I saw the life you lived. You did not live the will of my father. You are not my child. Depart from me. So many today are deceived by this, reality, this, this false narrative that God is okay with the way we live as long as we acknowledge. And you see, this is the thing. One drink always leads to another drink. Look at verse 9. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image... And receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand. The same shall drink of wine. Here comes the second drink. The second the, shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and with brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. And they have no rest day or night no, who worship the beast and his image and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. So the first angel proclaimed the gospel. The second angel proclaimed judgment. The third angel will proclaim damnation. Now this angel we see also spoke with a loud voice. So loud that even the deaf will hear it. And this message goes out to anyone who is worshiping the beast and contemplating receiving the mark. This message is going out to those who have not received the mark yet, but they're thinking about it. It's about to come upon them. Now, remember, the mark. The mark is not just a tool 
that's to manage buying and selling and paying and medical and identification and GPS location. It's not just all of that. All of that will be included in that, I'm sure. But it's also a sign. It's a mark of ownership. The mark will say that you have renounced Yeshua HaMashiach and you have pledged your allegiance to the beast. It is a sign that you are his. You have renounced your, your, your any attachment to God and you are now worshiping the beast. That is what the mark says. Remember, if you don't worship the image of the beast, it says you will be killed. They will keep close tabs on this. But if you do worship the beast and you do take the mark, this angel says you will drink the full wrath of God. The full wrath of God. You know, sometimes alcohol is mixed with water to dilute it, to take it down a notch, to calm it down just a little bit. When the final wrath of God is poured out, it will not be mixed with mercy. It will not be mixed with grace. It will not have one ounce of compassion. It will be the full strength of God's wrath. His wrath will be poured out in full strength. Psalm 75, 8 says, In the hand of the Lord is a cup full of foaming wine mixed with spices. He pours it out, and all of the wicked of the earth drink it down to its very dregs. Eesh. And this is the thing, when they drink of the first wine, when they drink of the wine of lust that is offered by the beast, then the second drink will come and God will force it down their throat. He will pour that down all the way to the nastiness in the bottom of the cup, the dregs, in its full strength. You know... Some people refuse to believe that a loving God would send anyone to hell. I agree 100%. A loving God would never send someone to hell. But he would give us a choice. He will not send you there, but he will give you a choice whether you want to go or not. We have options we have two options, and that's what we have. But they will make a conscious decision to go on their own. God will not send them. They will make a choice. I read a, a quote from Madonna this morning. And I apologize. It's got, a, it's got a bad word in it, so plug ears if you don't want to hear it. But this is her quote. She said, I don't give a damn if I go to hell. I love you, Satan. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. God will not send anyone to hell. They don't give a damn if they go. You see, people are not making a mistake. They're making a choice. 
Do we understand that? When we think about hell, God did not create hell. The Bible teaches very clear. He did not create hell for us. It was created for Lucifer and those angels who joined him in the rebellion of heaven. It was never meant for men or for women. But we have that choice. You know, thinking about, you know, people going and, and you know, I just can't believe God. And the other day, I, 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 Melissa gave me a new pair of lifting gloves. And when I put the gloves on, I said, hey, these things look like sparring gloves. Man, they had cushions all over the place. I was like, man, these look like sparring gloves. And I turned around and proceeded to punch one of the support beams in my basement. And I must have had this look of shock on my face when I stepped back, and my wife looked at me and just busted up laughing. I said, wow, that kind of hurt. And she sat there, and she laughed until she almost fell on the floor. I got absolutely no sympathy because I made a stupid decision. I made a stupid choice, and she laughed about it. <laughs> you see, I get zero sympathy when I do something stupid. I do. I get no sympathy from my wife. I can't tell you how many times she's laughed at me, and I'm over there going, <laughs> and she just laughs. <laughs> and, you know, and those people, some say, well, God, would, you know, a loving God would never send. And then there are some people who say, well, he's not going to send anybody to hell. He's just going to annihilate them. As soon as they die, they'll just be annihilated annihilation, or some believe in a temporal hell, just a short time of suffering and then annihilation. You know what? This angel would totally disagree with that thought. That is not at all what he said. How long does he say it will last? Forever and ever, night and day. Forever and ever, day and night. Does that sound like annihilation? Ceaseless infliction of unbearable pain is what he describes here. It will not lesser over time. It will not get less over time. The suffering will remain at an intense level for eternity. Do you realize that our bodies are designed that when there is great pain inflicted on our bodies, that they will begin to shut down. That's why people uh, that, are, that are in bad car wrecks or people who have horrific injuries or this or that, they will, when they wake up, they don't remember anything. Their bodies protect them from that. When the pain becomes too intense, their brain shuts down and it protects them. Otherwise, they would go insane. But that will be shut off during this eternal suffering. There will be no shut-off mechanism. They will receive the full wrath all the way down to the dregs. And ha 
Have you ever thought about the fact that these who are in hell will be in the presence of holy angels and the Lamb? That's what it says. They will be in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb. You know, I've always thought that a part of the suffering would be that they would be able to see into heaven, that they would be able to see into to paradise. You see, we see that in the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Because if you remember, the rich man could see into Abraham's bosom. He could see Lazarus enjoying the blessings of paradise. Jesus describes it as wailing and gnashing of teeth in Matthew 13, 42. Wailing and gnashing of teeth. You know, I believe that signifies regret. Why do I say that? Because what do you do when you do something stupid? You go, Wailing and gnashing of teeth, regret, right? When you do something stupid, you're just like, I can't believe I did that. And to be able to see and to be in the presence of the holy angels and to see the lamb who shed the blood for you so that you wouldn't have to go through that would give you that wailing and gnashing, that regret that I'm here because of me. I'm here because of my choice. I chose because he gave me every opportunity. He stood in the door of hell and said, you're going to have to go through me. And I shoved him aside and I tread through the blood of his son just to get what I wanted. Psalm 139, verse 7 and 8 says, Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. Listen, the Bible is very clear. Hell is eternal. Isaiah 66, 24 says, And they shall go forth and look upon the carcasses of the men that have transgressed against me. For their worms shall not die, neither shall their fire be quenched, and they shall be abhorring unto all flesh. Daniel 12, 2 says, Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Matthew 3, 12, Luke 3, 17, 2 Thessalonians 1, 9, all speak of the eternality of hell. Jesus called it the eternal fire, the unquenchable fire, the fire that is not quenched. And you know, in this cancel culture that we're in right now, can I tell you something? Human sensitivity does not change the facts about hell. Why? Well, I just don't believe in hell. <laughs> it, it doesn't matter. <laughs> It doesn't matter. Well, I just believe a a man can be a woman if he wants to be. It just doesn't matter what you believe. 
It doesn't matter. It is what it is. The truth is the truth. The Bible teaches of an eternal hell as much as it teaches of an eternal heaven. And we, as human beings, make a choice in which path we want to take. It's on us because God has done everything in his power to keep us from going there. Over and over and over and over. I don't understand it, but I'm thankful for it. You see, this, as we see these three angels, is God making one more plea, one more time, and many of them will push him aside. But if there's just one, if there's just one, he would send them again. And you know, we will see, and I believe this with all of my body, I've, I've I've had people say to me, you know, I just don't know how I could enjoy heaven. I just don't know how I could be happy if someone I loved ended up in hell. Can I tell you something? We're looking at that with this little finite mind of ours. One day when we receive the glorified body and we receive that glorified mind, we're going to look at hell completely different. We will look at hell the way God looks at hell. We will understand it the way he understands it. It will not be a mistake. It will be a choice. Understand that. Would you stand to your feet? He never gives up. He never gives up. He continues. He continues to plead for people to come. And we see that over and over and over. Yes, we see the wrath. Yes, we see everything that's being poured out. But let's not miss how many times God reaches out and pleads with the lost to come in. Father, we thank you. We thank you. I thank you, God, that you never gave up on me. I thank you, Father, that time and time and time again, you pled with me to come in. And Father, by your grace and your mercy, one day I said yes. And many of us, Father, were late bloomers. Many of us know someone who in the last hours of their life, you continue to plead with them. And God, I don't understand it, but I thank you for it. And now, Father, as we leave this house, God, pour out your blessings upon your people. I pray their cup, their cup overflows as they leave this house. I pray that we go out and, and plead and draw those in, Father, who do not know you. And we ask all of these things in Jesus' very precious name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day. The sun's out now.